Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hello, everybody. How are you? Welcome to The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also watch the show on YouTube. Follow the program on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And support the show over at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. I hope you were doing okay wherever you happen to be. I have another flashback episode for you, a Friday flashback. Every Friday, I dig into the archives and I pick out a cut from a past episode. Today's flashback comes from episode 549, my conversation with Andre Dubuse III. He is the author of several books, including Dirty Love, The Garden of Last Days, House of Sand and Fog, which was a New York Times bestseller, and Oprah's book club pick, and a finalist for the National Book Award. He also wrote a memoir called Townie. And earlier this month, June 2023, Andre Debuse III published his latest novel. It is called Such Kindness, and it is available from W.W. Norton & Company. Andre Debuse's work has been recognized with several awards, including an American Academy of Arts and Letters Award in Literature, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and a National Magazine Award. Once again, this outtake that I'm about to play for you comes from episode 549. It first aired on October 31st, 2018. You will hear Andre and me talking about a variety of things, including family, divorce, poverty, violence, fear, self-hatred, fighting, prison, the divine, writing as salvation, and the deep feeling that we are all interconnected. So I think that about sums it up. Let's get to today's flashback. Here I am in conversation with Andre Debuse III. You know, I grew up like too many people in scrappy, violent circumstances. And I learned a lot. And I'm still, as a 59-year-old man, trying to come to terms, terms with what I learned. Uh, but one thing I learned is that we're all capable of bad behavior. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature... I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, 
based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. So can you, for listeners who might not have context, like explain a little bit about your youth, which you wrote about in your memoir, Townie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, um, like most Americans or I think 56%, my family divorced when I was young. And, uh, you know, my mother and father eloped when they were 18 and 20 years old. And they're from South Louisiana. Every relative I have is from South Louisiana. My parents are from South Louisiana. Oh, they are? Where are they from? My dad's from Morgan City, and my mom is from Plaquemine, which is Baton Rouge, and then Morgan Shit, City. Shit, man, we might be cousins. You never know. <laughs> no, you never know. <laughs> right? And so my, my mother goes to her father, who never went past the third grade. He was a pipe fitter, and she told him she's eloping from this guy, with this guy, Andre Debus and Lafayette. And he said, well, there ain't been no damn divorces in this family. If this don't work out, you ain't coming home. And nine years and four kids later, it went south. And I watched my mom do what too many, many millions of women have to do. She she got a, she did it herself. And I'm not saying my, my dad was not a deadbeat dad by any stretch, but it was a 70s divorce. He... He he left. He got an apartment. Got a you know he was making seven thousand dollars a year as a full time professor. Seven grand. Now that's a lot. That was a lot more in the '60s when they split up. But it wasn't enough for a family of six. So we went from being poor to poorer. Ugh. And um, my mom got a job as a nurse's aide and a waitress. She started to work her way through school. She ended up getting a degree uh, where the big money is in social services. And um, I'm proud of that. And she ended up working with poor families for her whole career. But we moved two to three times a year for cheaper rent. And um, and I was always the new kid. I went to about 14 schools before I got to high school. And we ended up living in some really tough neighborhoods. By tough, I mean people with no jobs. People, uh, I mean, a lot of single moms, dad's gone, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of violence, a lot of scrappy moments. And I remember being afraid. When I look back at my childhood, there's a wonderful line from Tobias Wolff's wonderful memoir, This Boy's Life, where he said, every memory has its own story to tell. And I'm sure I must have had moments of joy and, um, you know, exaltation as a kid. But what comes to me most are two predominant emotions. One is physical fear. I was always scared of getting beat up. And let me make, there's a caveat here. I was not worried about getting shot five times in the chest for standing on the wrong corner. There's right. too many kids, mainly brown skinned kids are who faced, uh, face that crap today, that horror today. But I did face physical violence daily and um, face getting beat up just for being, you know, the small new kid around the block. The other predominant feeling was self-hatred. I I despised myself because I was a physical coward. Anyway, I'll compress. Uh, My brother was beaten up by a grown man when he was 13 and I was 14, and I couldn't defend him. 
and I snapped, and I began to to uh, change my life. I was a kid who drank and smoked and did drugs like all my friends. At age and 13. 13, 14, 15. But I, I did every drug between 13 and 16 but heroin and speed. But that was normal for my neighborhood. Everyone, and this is the uh, early 70s. It's interesting. I'm a member of the generation. We were 10 years too young for Vietnam, but 10 years older than Generation Xers. We were in this in-between little generation where, uh, you know, Vietnam had moved on. The party had moved on around the, the, the movement against it. But we had hair. I had hair down on my waist. I wore dingo boots. I carried Southern Comfort in my boot like Janis Joplin. And um, we were all having sex at 11, 12, 13. This is not good. You know, I lost my virginity at 13, and I was late in my neighborhood. My point is, I started to fight back, and um, I began to lift weights. I began to box. Much to my surprise, I, ha- I had athletic ability. And um, one night, I knocked the teeth out of a man who pushed my brother down the stairs. And it felt so so good, I did it for like 10 years. And don't get me wrong, I hated bullies but i would go looking for bullies i look i go to a bar you're like the avenger i, I you almost you could put a freaking cape and mask on me it was almost comical except I, it was meant so much to me I, I go to a bar i wait for some guy to backhand his wife or his girlfriend sadly that wasn't hard to find that kind of behavior and i put him in the hospital or try to um i go to a house party i wait for some big guy to lord over some smaller guy and i jump on him and i i never got bigger than about 160 pounds my, and I wasn't a I wasn't a, a badass. I was I was just so toxic with self loathing. I would rather die a violent death than see a coward in the mirror. It made me it made me a very dangerous kid and young man. And I did it for about a decade. And you know, we all have this wonderful quiet voice inside us that knows what's right. You know, if you look at the word intuition, I don't know if it's the Latin or Greek, but it but you know what the meaning of it is? You know what it means? It means to watch over or to guard. And that, so I got a lot of social rewards. Local police love me because I'm wailing on guys. They wanted to but couldn't without losing their badges. <laughs> Girls started to pay attention to me. I actually had a reputation as a tough kid instead of uh, all those names they call kids who don't fight. And uh, But I knew I was going to die doing this, or maybe worse than that, I was going to kill someone. Right. So I started to box as a way to control my violence. as well, I'm no longer afraid of fighting. I'm afraid of not fighting. So... I'm not going to go anywhere where it's easy to find a fight, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. It'll be my sport. So I started to train for the Golden Gloves down Lowell, Mass. I was living in a tough town in north of Boston. It's still a tough town, Lynn, Mass. And they have this saying about Lynn, 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 the city of sin. You don't come out the way you went in. <laughs> and I was working construction with my brother. I'm 23 years old. And one night, Brad, and, you know, I have a hard time believing in a, a, a single God, but I've, I've never had a hard time believing in the divine. I believe there's something quite beautiful in and around us at all times. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, th- yeah this loving and beautiful, and, and every human being is worthy of respect across the globe. Something, I was, tr- I was dressed up, it's a winter, three degrees outside New England. I was you know, six o'clock at night, work construction all night, and pl- all day. I'm planning to run two miles to the gym, train for two hours, run back. And something made me sit my butt down in my little chair in my little 
shitty rented kitchen in my little shitty walk-up apartment Lynn Mass and I grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil I brewed a cup of tea and I started to write from the point of view of a young woman losing her virginity with her brother in the woods in Maine to this day I don't know where that came from I have no idea where that impulse came from that's an interesting opening gambit yeah <laughs> and I took a sip of the tea right. and I, it had been boiling now it's room temperature and I think I thought I was writing 10 minutes it was clearly over an hour and here's the thing I felt more like me than I'd ever felt in my life. Huh. And I knew then that I had to keep... I didn't, I'm, I'm not saying I wanted to be a writer that night, but I knew that I wanted to keep writing sentences. And also right after that, almost immediately I stopped wanting to punch people in the face. And I realized... I mean, I still got into a few more uh, fights over the years, but it was always... I mean, the last fight I was in, uh, a grown man was beating up his beautiful young wife with his fists in the street. And people were watching, and I jumped in and stopped it and did more than that, and, um, which I'm not totally proud of. But my, my point is, um, when I began to write from the point of view of other human beings, you know, when you do that, it's, it's, it's a sustained act of empathy where you're asking, what's it like to be you? I found that it was, it, if I did that for 90 minutes in the morning before whatever job I had, it was really hard to punch someone in the face that night, even if he'd done something heinous. I realized that I, I was on the road to looking at people far more in a gray light than a black and white. And as a young kid and an angry one at that, you know, I saw people and, you know, I saw, I saw people as good guys and bad guys. And I have not. I do not believe in good guys and bad guys anymore. And I haven't for about 40 years now. Yeah. And like you talk about self-loathing. Uh, do you think that like that's at the heart of all violent people, especially violent men? I think I think there's a lot of self-loathing. Um, there's deep insecurity. Well, that's in tandem, right? Um, fear. There's so much fear. You know, um, I've I've given talks at prisons and county jails, and I've worked in halfway houses, and I love being in a room with a bunch of punks, people who, I mean. We call them gangsters now, but I mean, young men, uh, young men who are out there who scare everybody. And I'm not saying they're not capable of scaring me, especially if they're packing a piece. But those guys, I really like to be in a room with because <laughs> you were one of them. I was one of them. And you can see if you just look in their eyes, you can see the five year old boy who's still stuck there. Right. You know, and, and and I know it's a little reductive to look at it this way, but the majority of them have not been loved well growing up. There hasn't been a lot of steady, stable love in their lives. And I and I, I think they're all salvageable. I really do. Yeah. Well, well you know, and it's like uh, even somebody who's done the worst thing, yeah. um, like, uh, you know, Supreme Court aside. Mm-hmm the level of empathy with which you treat a murderer, mm. you know, it plays a trick on the reader in a way because you find yourself, you know, like liking the guy or, right. or feel, having complicated feelings. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause the, the full humanity is there. And, uh, I think about that a lot because there's a lot of, in, in a very good way, there's a lot of, uh, pointing out of bad behavior, especially in online communities, social media, I think I'm more aware of people who have transgressed 
mm-hmm. in volume than I maybe ever have been. Mm-hmm. And part of me, I think I like to be aware. I don't want to live in the dark. You know, mm-hmm. I want to know when things are happening and when people have been mistreated. But right. that also then presents to me the problem of like what to do with it. Right. Like, how am I supposed to feel? How long do I hang on to this? Like, well, can I, I speak to that? Yeah. Because it seems to me. So, you know, I've been writing now for, I don't know, 36 years, five, six days a week. And, you know, trying to write from the point of view of other people, mainly as a fiction writer. And if I've learned nothing else, you know, you know, you know where it's taken me? Where's that? It's taken me to the belief that there is no other anywhere ever that we are all one. I mean, I feel that in almost like a viscous way. Like you and I just met, but I feel like you're right here in my molecules, as, as is, you know, somebody from another uh, ethnic type or race or gender or sexual preference or religious affiliation. I just feel one with all men, women, and kids, and people in between picking their gender. I don't feel above anyone in this world. The deeper, the more I've written, I just feel we're all one big soup, and we must love one another. You know, um, one of my favorite lines is from a Tom Waits song, Heart Attack and Vine, where he says, there is no devil, there's just God when he's drunk. And, you know, that's blasphemy to some ears. That's blasphemy to a lot of Christian ears here in the States. But that that line could get me for quoting it and Tom Waits for writing it, shot and imprisoned, shot and or imprisoned around the world right now. And, you know, God bless the First Amendment. But, you know, you talk about what to do with it. I, you know, I'm not on social media. I, I don't, I'm, I'm a lot of what, to me, it's all static on the radio, so I stay away. But I am so hesitant to, oh, what's the word? You know, you, you see you see a horrible event, and, and please understand, I, I used to be a vigilante. I, I, I hate violence against people i especially hate male violence against women and kids and and then when 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 someone perpetrates this evil what you hear is well he he he's an evil man or she's just pure evil and i i just reject those out of hand no i'm sorry it's 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 a luxury to look at human beings that way uh you know, you and I are in this room. I said this, the better example is, is I was having this talk with somebody, I don't know, a few days ago, and I forget where I was, I'm on a book tour, but it was a, it was a group of people, it was a hundred or 200 people in a room, and we we're talking about this very thing about good, because the main character, as you know, in Gone So Long, murdered his wife. I said, look, if we shut the doors, so somebody locked the doors to this theater right now, in six weeks, just a handful of us are walking out of here. And I don't want to think about what we got to do to do it, you know. Right. And you consider yourselves very nice people right now, but you might be strangling and eating the person next to you in about four weeks, you know. And and I do believe that the saints among us are the ones who, when when they're look, let me just say, you know, when I've got you know a nice little cushion in the bank account. And my wife and I are getting along, and my car starts right up, and you know my coffee's perfect temperature. I'm nice to everybody, right. but if I'm broke, my wife and I are bickering. My car doesn't start up. My coffee's cold. Get the fuck out of my way, man. Right. 
And and I think that's the case for so many of us. And so, you know, I forget, it was some great poet who said, oh, my God, who was it? It was a really beautiful poet. I read poetry every day. Uh, I forget who it was. But, you know, be very gentle to those whose path you cross because you never know what battle. Everybody is fighting a great battle inside. And I do believe that's the case. All right, folks, there we go. That was a flashback to episode 549, my conversation with Andre Debuse III. It first aired on October 31st, 2018. You can listen to the full episode. It is in the feed. All episodes are available, so just find the episode and press play. You can listen to the full conversation with Andre Debuse III. And be sure to get your hands on a copy of Andre's latest novel. It is called Such Kindness, available now from W.W. Norton & Company. You can find him online at andredebuse.com. He also has a Facebook page. The Other People podcast is offered freely. There are almost 850 episodes at this point. More than that, maybe. There's a lot. It's all available. If you had a good experience, if you love this show, if you feel like you get something from it, if you would like to help perpetuate literary culture, I hope you will consider supporting the work that I do over at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Help keep this program going. Patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen. If you have a couple of minutes, please rate this show. Give it a rating wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, what have you. If it is possible to write a quick review, that would be great. It helps new listeners find the show. Don't forget to get another people t-shirt for the summer season. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you can get other people gear. You can get a sweatshirt at otherppl.com. Just scroll down, look for the t-shirt. You can't miss it. Sign up for my free once a week email newsletter. I will email you once a week. Sign up at bradlisty.com or otherppl.com. And finally, if you would like to read my latest novel, it is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So read my book if you want to. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. Coming up on Sunday, I will be in conversation with Tanya James. Her new novel is called Loot. It is out there now on Knopf. So stay tuned.